from Optimized Health, this is the True Health Podcast, where we unlearn diet culture and optimize our life, one tip and story at a time. My guest today is Andrew Coates, one of the most trusted voices in the fitness space. He is an amazing trainer, a writer for outlets like Muscle and Fitness, Men's Health, and more, and is an acclaimed public speaker at health and fitness events globally. But possibly my favorite part about Andrew's work is that he brings fitness down to earth. He makes it approachable to everyday people, and he is always publicly sharing some misconceptions and myths that can often make the space feel intimidating or overwhelming. Uh, to put it simply, he is somebody who actually cares. Uh, can't wait to dig into it, and I think you guys are going to love what he has to say. And with that, please welcome Andrew Coates. What's up? Hey. Thank you. I really appreciate you having me, Ethan. Thanks. Absolutely. Glad you're here. Um, so just to jump into it, just to jump right in, we got you, we got your cat. What was... Uh... <laughs> it's Ozzy. He's um, hanging on the table nearby. It, normally, okay. he doesn't usually get in front of the camera, but he's here in the front of the camera right now. So he's along with us. I love it. He's in here. He's in the chat with us today. Mm -hmm. um, so just to give listeners some context, like I know about your background and just kind of the mm -hmm. credibility and all that kind of stuff, but just for some kind of origin story background, like how did you get into the space? You know, wh where did you start? All of, all of that kind of stuff, wherever you want to take that. Sure. Um, I grew up playing a lot of sports, so I was very lucky in that my parents had me and my brothers involved in sports. They very supportive of that stuff. My parents are really good about, you know, modeling a lot of home cooked meals. So I had the advantage and not everybody does. And this is a really important concept is we take for granted that not everybody grows up in an environment with a lot of nutritional knowledge or emphasis on physical activity. I don't even necessarily think my parents had extensive education in nutrition. They just seem to intuitively understand, you know, home cooked meals. And I think it probably came from both of their families, which are sort of slightly different backgrounds. But either way, it was a lot of like, you know, cooked Sunday dinner. It wasn't necessarily rooted in like, hey, there's got to be dessert a lot. There wasn't a lot of alcohol around growing up, that sort of stuff. I mean, trust me, me and my brother found our fair share of alcohol later on in life. <laughs> we own a nightclub and yeah. my dad owns a pub and my brother runs it with him. But yeah. um, grew up around a lot of sports, cross-country skiing, high school basketball, that sort of stuff. Got to university and I look back and I realized I, I certainly wasn't playing any sports and I was just dabbled in the gym through my university days. I walked around campus a lot. So I didn't see weight gain the way I think, you know, people talk about the classic freshman 15. I never really thought much about it. And right out of university, a lot of stuff changed in my life. I wasn't going back to university, you know, working in different worlds. I got a bachelor of commerce degree. So my degree is not, you know, the beacon, the, the classic, you know, trainer route. And I got really sick from a bad flu. I think it was knocked out for three weeks, lost 10 pounds. I'm 6'2", and I got down to about 170 pounds, which is pretty slender for, because I've always had a fairly athletic frame. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel good. You know, it it my, my self-esteem, self-worth, confidence were all kind of ravaged. I wasn't feeling great. So I started getting serious about the gym, and I started going four or five times a week. Early on, I'd still skip leg day as often as I didn't, but I started eating more consistently. And I immediately just started feeling way better. You know, I put on muscle fairly easily. And seven months later, I'm walking around about 210 pounds, pretty muscular. And I felt much, much better. 
And then, you know, life ebbed and flowed, different career outlets, wasn't really fulfilled filled with anything, owned and operated a bar for a little while. And that came with a lot of lifestyle stuff that interfered with the gym. But eventually I moved from the East Coast of Canada, where I'm originally from, Newfoundland, to Edmonton, Alberta, which is Northwestern Canada. And got back into more consistent working out. And then the staff at the gym I worked out at just kept asking me to come work there as a trainer after a few years. I wasn't super fulfilled with what I was doing on the side of it. So after saying no several times, I finally said yes and started a career not knowing what the hell I was doing at 32 years of age. And what I hope at least this kind of shines a light on how like, yeah, anybody looks at me and they think, oh, this guy's probably like been immersed in fitness his whole life. And I got a late start in my career. Mm. I, I interact with a lot of young trainers who are trying to figure their way out. And I'm like, you're way ahead of me where I started. And so I took a liking to it. And instead of the, ooh, I, you know, was this young person with a passion for fitness, I was someone who shifted careers because an opportunity came along. I just needed something to do. You know, found that I worked pretty well within that environment. I enjoyed it. My clients were happy. I was coming in with a fair bit of fitness knowledge just from my own stuff and my willingness to research and learn. And mm-hmm. it didn't take long before I was digging into resources like Dr. Elaine Norton's nutrition stuff and re- uh, reading a lot of T Nation and getting to follow and learn from the various people who are longtime T Nation people. Here I am sending voice messages back and forth with my good friend, Tony Gentlecore, who I met in 2018 in my travels who I've been reading since the very start of my career. Kind of surreal stuff. Wow. And along the way, it just, I always stayed busy. I did really well with referral business. My clientele stayed around. I was the busiest trainer in the company uh, year over year in terms of the sessions done. And I was, was, you know, near the top at sales. And so I spent six years at a commercial gym, you know, and always kind of learning and educating. And then things just weren't going well at that gym for the, just the environment. So I chose to leave and I started my own business as a contractor at another friend's gym. I've been there for over six years. It's been a great environment, much more professional environment. And it a lot, first of all, I was able to make more money working for myself. Excuse me. And that gave me the resources to travel to a few conferences. Mm. I started traveling in seven, 2017 and I met a lot of really great people, both industry authorities who become friends of mine, but also the people in the same place in their career on the same journey that I've been on. I think that applies everywhere in life. If you immerse yourself in and around those people, you get to know people, you develop relationships and you show up and you share and support and help other people without any expectation in return of what you're going to get out of it. Just great things happen. And a lot of stuff just kept growing and developing and building to the point where, you know, I got an opportunity to write for T nation, which I, you know, I, read for forever and then you know we'd started a podcast me and a friend of mine over five years ago and that was a really great vehicle to just connect with and interact with people and yeah then i travel to more events and then all of a sudden i start getting invited to speak at the events that i've been traveling to as social media grows and you know now we're here as all of a sudden i'm getting asked up here in three podcasts in four hours and (laughs) dozens upon dozens of them as some sort of authority and expert which is sort of a weird concept i don't like the word expert yeah um I, I think it's fantastic. And I think there are so many subtle pieces to what you just said that we could pull out and talk about for an hour each. Um, yeah. But I think what what that is a testament to is I think maybe the main place or the overarching place to start is if somebody were to look at you, right, like kind of like you said, they'd be like, OK, this guy is super hardcore gym bro been training his whole life like super athlete his parents were athletes like that's just like in his blood 
And I think that's a misconception a lot of people have and an assumption a lot of people have when in reality, you're you're saying things like, I don't know, my parents cooked when I was a kid and I walked a lot in college. Like these are these are the things that actually seem to shape your health and fitness and your life in a way that is actually not extreme at all and much more baseline things that compound on themselves over decades. And it's cool that that stuff came out through that because it really, again, it really does change the way that we look at different people's circumstances. There are a lot of people who did not grow up with the same kind of home cooked meals on a consistent basis or the same kind of emphasis on, you know, being active, you know, uh, I'm very lucky. My parents are still married to this day. You know, it's been 45 years. Whereas, you know, a lot of people, I know a lot of friends of mine, their parents have been split at a younger age. So, you know, you got kids growing up, splitting time between two homes and you got working parents and it's not as easy for parents to devote time to, you know, encourage playing whatever sport and, and thing. My mom uh, was a high school teacher. So when no other teacher was around to be able to you know, allow us to stay, me and my brother to, you know, to practice basketball. Mom would just stick around for a couple extra hours at the school doing work while we played basketball in the gym. So there's a lot of cool advantages. And I think it's important that we, we, A, we're mindful and respectful of the fact that different people are coming from different resources, knowledge bases, education, environments. But like you said, that doesn't, there's also a, a narrative out there that screams at evidence-based fitness and nutrition that denounces anything that suggests that, Hey, listen, you have the power and the ability to control your own outcome because those people derive status and power and influence from being the ideological extremist voice of, of a narrative that basically just wants to tell people, listen, you guys are victims. It's society's fault. You have no control over your outcome. And, and in, in, in its most extreme form, it's a sort of, it's the same people that when Adele, the singer lost a lot of weight because she made the choice that she wanted to change the, you know, the chances of her, you know, a better long-term health outcome, the tribe denounced her and, you know, publicly sort of attacked her. And that's not helping, right? That, 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 that's one extreme end of the spectrum. The other extreme end of the spectrum is the, the, the nasty fat shaming, Hey, it's all your fault type stuff. Right. And, Throwing that stuff around and, and shaming anybody into action doesn't work either. It's got to be a nuanced middle ground that is very deeply rooted in well, what's actually evidence-based and what empowers and give pe gives people tools versus robs them of this and disempowers them. And understanding that people come from different backgrounds and advantages and disadvantages. So therefore, how can we give people things and restore, give them back something where they started from a disadvantaged position and it can be a media and, and resonance within media personality that people will grab onto and like and find, okay, this is empathetic. This is actually encouraging me. And it might be simple, not just like getting someone to walk more. Like my buddy, Dean Guido, my old podcast co-host, he's as sort of a spoof of the liver king. He calls himself the walk more king on Instagram. And Dean's a great guy. Mm -hmm. And he really, for a long time, he's called it out a bit, but he would just push a lot of stuff about just the benefits of walking every day. And it almost like the message became redundant, but he's beating this over people's heads. And you're not going to tell me it didn't get people getting their step counts up every day, right? Like yeah. it, it's going to resonate with someone and it's going to help someone's life. So if you've got good evidence-based empathetic media, there will be people who will self-select the way you approach it. And that's how you ultimately change people.
in their lives. I, I love that. And I think what's what's interesting, and we, we touched on this right before recording a little bit, but, you know, personally for me, when I uh, background, and I won't bore you with all the details, but context wise, you know, we I grew up in a family where it was fast food every night, no mm. home cooking, um, you know, everybody in my family struggled with weight. My dad was 400 pounds, you know, I, at my heaviest was well over 300 pounds. And, you know, I ended up going on a 130 pound several year kind of weight loss process, which ultimately got me so passionate about this space that I now devote my whole life to it. But what's fascinating and, and honestly, weirdly, um, I don't know, full circle or even emotional for me in these types of conversations is I think back to me at 300 plus pounds, the first time I went into a gym, I was genuinely terrified, like so nervous, very anxious. And, and my assumption was, this is not a place for me. Like this is a place for fit people. Like I'm not the guy here. And, you know, and I've talked about this many times on other episodes and stuff, but the trainer that I had changed my life more than anybody. And we're still very close friends to this day. I know it, you know what I mean? It's like, I think of him all the time. And the first day I met him, I mean, he's ripped and I was terrified. And I'm like, oh, this person actually is the sweetest, gentlest, nicest guy I've ever met. And he cares so much about me. And I think what's fascinating is you talking about it in that sense is like, these assumptions that can be made around the gym and gym culture and all this stuff, even if they're coming, by the way, sometimes from really poor marketing and people and all of that in the space too. Um, you know, I think almost a goal in the fitness industry should be to how do we change that narrative, make it more approachable, make people realize this is actually like a sacred, beautiful space. And, and I think that's just like a fascinating um I don't know, thing to explore. There are two really important things there. And I love that you pointed out. Um, I've tried to hit on this with my media too. It's the importance of people within our industry, but not just the coaches, but also the enthusiasts to be better ambassadors to the world that we exist within. And there's a lot of media and complaining about what influencers do on social media is, is lazy. It's sour grapes. It's low hanging fruit. And it's not particularly productive unless you're really determined to do it better. You know, and I, I built the social media following to drown out the noise with better information. So, you know, practice what you preach if you're going to complain about it. But lead by example with, you know, more empathy, an accessible message, get away from a lot of the tribalism and the extremism that we see within any facet of nutrition, training ideology, or, or any of this sort of stuff. And if we are better ambassadors both on social media and within gym environments, like your trainer was, then it can completely shift someone's experience because people are intimidated and they're scared of stepping into gyms, whether we know that they shouldn't be, we know it's the healthiest place on earth that they could possibly be. But every time I put up a post about something like this, someone comes in and has got something negative to say and gets nasty and whatever. And, and I push back to that because like that stuff's not helpful. It's discouraging people from doing the best thing they possibly could for themselves. Um, I'm trying to bring back what the, there was sort of a second thought to that. Um, ultimately, if we as an industry can be better ambassadors, 
I know that will really go a long way. If the other, whatever I was thinking comes to me in our conversation. Yeah, yeah no, I think it's true. And I think, you know, especially for whether it's people listening here or in general, it's like, I think there's such a kind of to what we're talking about. There's this assumption and this sort of like otherness that a lot of people feel um, when they are maybe overweight or unhealthy or all this uh, in gym environments and in life and in the world in general too, where I think instead of assuming, okay, this is a scary, not for me, it can be like, wait, like I remember I had a complete, I mean, I remember the exact moment during the workout where my entire philosophy, it changed my whole life where I realized, oh, wait, if I'm new to this and I kind of, you know, I thought of myself as bad at exercise or whatever, you know, instead of thinking about that, I can't lift as much as the guy next to me, or I can't do this as well. If I turn it on its head, if I'm new to this and I'm really kind of out of shape, I'm actually getting the most out of every rep that I do of anybody in the gym. And all of a sudden I stopped feeling insecure. And I was like, I'm actually top in the gym as far as results in today's workout, because I'm starting from a different place, you know? And it's just like those mindset shifts can change everything through the process. I remembered what I was going to say. You prompted it. It's recognizing that we are naturally very judgmental. And when someone walks into the gym and is they're scared of the gym and you see someone who's muscular fit, you know, a stereotype of sorts, then we're assigning a, a value judgment to who they are and what they're going to be like as well. And I mean, a lot of the people that I know in around gym environments, you probably agree with me are some of the nicest people ever. We also get the preening bad stereotypes that kind of, once you get to recognize it, they, they tend to, you know, this, they come off as being fairly insecure. The vast majority of people I've ever met and seen in gym environments are normal liberty people. They're, they're kind, they're well-intentioned, they're non-judgmental. They're not looking at you. And then the bad stereotypes, okay. They exist anywhere in society. You go gyms are not unique in that regard. Sure. Um, yeah, they can, they can attract vain and insecure types. Sure. Because that's an outlet for those people to seek attention and affirmation. But at the end of the day, it's understanding that everybody's going in there with good intentions. No one's out to ruin anybody else's day. And if we assign judgment to the people and the things we see, we're just as guilty. And we can use those judgments to demonize other people, including people who are fit and active, and they can become that very easily accessible justifications for us not to put in the work to get healthier, to do the scary, the hard thing. And we're good at coming up with narratives, post-rationalizations as to why we can't or why we didn't. And it's why I push back anytime we get this disempowering tribalism that blames genetics, that blames anything that's outside of our control. Yes, we. I, I open this up by saying I started with a lot of advantages, but there's this tribal narrative that you know, likes to point out all the reasons why you can't do something. And therefore it screams down messaging that encourages people to take ownership, control, responsibility for their own outcomes. They don't like that because they want, they want to gain status within the tribe by telling people, oh, it's not your fault. You have no control over this. So you're just going to be the way you're going to be. And that's it. And that is inherently unhelpful. That does nothing to make people feel better and then if you compound that by saying that it's actually just as healthy to, I'm going to say this bluntly, it's, you got to handle the nuance, but 
that whenever we get this tribal, dangerous tribal narrative and a lie that there is no relationship between obesity and long-term health outcomes, that is a very, very malevolent behavior amongst one particular corner. There are bad faith actors on all the extremes in this world. But when you're someone like you've walked in the shoes of someone who's been over 300 pounds, how did you feel? How was your, how was your self-esteem, your self-worth and your energy level when you were there? Yeah. Did you feel good? I, I mean, I feel like a totally different person on every level right now. And it's not fair to assume that everybody feels that way. But I think on average, one of the reasons why people, they do seek it out. It's not because society tells them that they're more valued because they're thinner. We know there's a big societal problem with, with that sort of messaging. But I think a lot of people just, they have a day where they're walking up the stairs and they're winded or they just feel like shit or they can't bend over to play with their kids or they just get really scared because there's a, a family member who has a, a you know a, a negative outcome. And then they realize, wait a second, like I'm on the road to really losing my quality of life and you know a shortened lifespan so they want to change they want to get better and when you have people telling you hey no it's okay you shouldn't try to lose the weight as hard as it is that's not helping shaming those people into losing the weight is not helping either it's got to be that nuanced middle ground that creates access to resources positive environment and that's why i think just being a great ambassador with better messaging is really critical yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it becomes the specifics about nutrition and training and dispensing with, in a constructive way, dispensing with the the falsehoods and the myths. And I don't know, it's, it's just showing up to help people. And, and hopefully people feel comfortable and confident to be able to reach out to someone like you and ask questions and without fearing that they sound stupid because they think it's a basic question. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I totally agree with that. And I even look, I mean, I had that moment like I remember Laura my wife you know we used to go grocery shopping and I would like we go grocery shopping and she would carry the groceries in because if I was carrying the groceries we had to walk upstairs to our apartment in LA I would be exhausted and she never obviously you know shamed me for that but I remember internally having a moment of like why why am I not carrying the groceries? Like, what does that look like 20 years from now? You know, and I think for me, and you made it an interesting point. If somebody were to have bullied me or shamed me or guilted, that would not have helped. It would have made it much worse, you know? So it's not, it's obviously not that. But what's interesting is in that moment, that access to a local gym and a trainer who was really positive and all of that being right there kind of magically manifested into this new habit you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, all the environmental pieces are huge. The community pieces are huge. Um, I think like beyond the cultural conversation around it, I think also what would be great is, um, looking at some common questions for the health and fitness space. And, and I have some of them written down where I'm kind of like, these are probably the top five questions I get that people get who are trying to build kind of health and fitness habits. Um, and kind of go through them. We'll so first, first, I want to put somebody's trying to lose weight. Somebody's trying to lose weight. What is the best routine for somebody who's relatively new, nothing super experienced between strength, cardio, rest days? What does a week in the life maybe look like? Um, if weight loss or body fat loss is kind of a primary goal. Obviously varies by person, the amount of time they have. 
it's essential to get someone moving. So, I mean, yes, it's, it's whatever physical activity someone is most likely to enjoy is still the most important answer. You're probably going to have the most success if you don't try to go too crazy too fast. Don't worry about like body part split routines. Getting into the gym two to three times a week, doing a little bit of everything, just a basic full body routine that's got something that's got legs, it's got pushing, it's got pulling in it, you carry some stuff. That's going to be wonderful. If you can add to that just a little bit more physical activity than you already are. If you're not walking, maybe it's getting outside. There are wonderful benefits to being in nature. It's incredibly mood enhancing. Depending on where you are, Edmonton winters right now, not always easy, but it's actually a really nice, beautiful day that uh, you know someone could get out and enjoy it. Just the super cold stuff, I don't know. And maybe it's a couple of 20-minute walks a day. Or, you know, if the weather isn't that great, maybe it's picking the piece of cardio equipment that you hate the least, getting up and doing it. Nothing too crazy. Don't crush yourself. And it's about breaking the inertia of the old life and the inactivity. Mm. And there's, there's a lot of people that will say that resistance training or exercise you know, has no effect on, on fat loss or weight loss. And I think that's a dangerous misunderstanding of what's really going on. Habits compound. And if you get someone who goes from being totally sedentary, nothing but TV, junk food, metaphorically or literally, to someone who gets to the gym three days a week, finds that they enjoy it, finds that they're getting stronger. Yes, that can actually increase appetite. It's true. But what's likely to happen is that person is more likely to be thinking about other you know, fit, healthy lifestyle behaviors. They're a little bit more likely to do a bit of cardio, but they're a lot more likely to change your nutrition. And then we can do something as simple as focusing on getting more protein in their diet. Build most of your meals around a lean protein source. Focus mm -hmm. on more frequent home cooking. If you go from entirely processed food and takeout to even half the time, if you go from, you know, that a two liter of Pepsi a day to one liter of Pepsi a day, it's progress. And people freak the fuck out when it comes to like the suggestion of artificial sweeteners. But if, again, go follow Dr. Spencer Nadolsky and actually get into the evidence and get off the tribal, the bullshit. But, you know, if someone goes from, you know, a couple of cans of Coke a day to a couple of cans of, of Diet Coke a day, for someone whose goal is fat loss, the evidence is very clear. Yeah, you can cherry pick your your bullshit study that that says, oh, you know, people who are overweight are more likely to drink diet soft drinks. Yeah, that's correlation, not causation. People who are drinking diet drinks are probably people who are conscientious about wanting to lose weight anyway. It's like the the whole thing about avocados, like healthier people are more likely to eat avocados. Um, or some people interpret it as like the eating the avocado a day is what's driving your health. When was the last time some, were you eating avocados during your less healthy phase in your life? No. Oh, the, the only people who are thinking about eating avocados, unless it's guacamole, are the people who are already wired to seek nutritious food and they're they're active. So it, the research stuff, I'm not going to get too much of that, but just don't get confused by correlation versus causation. Um, you just touched on something that I always talk to people about that's really interesting is I always think of it as like the actual benefit of the workout is everything but the workout right? Like the, the benefit of the workout is the mental health, the stress, the yes. mood, brain fog, and also that you are much more likely to eat healthy and make health and drink more water and all those ripple effects and sleep better. And all of the stuff that happens after the workout is actually why you do the workout. You know what I mean? Building strength or losing weight or body fat loss or all that kind of stuff comes sort of 
as a result, but no, if you're waking up going, all right, I have to go to the gym because I need bigger biceps. That's not really going to do it. If you're waking up being like, I want to feel really good. And I notice that when I do this thing, I feel better the rest of the day. That ripple effect is like an important factor, you know? And I think it's funny. Um, I think if you ask anybody who loves to work out and is in the habit and doing it, you know, regularly, if you ask them why they do it, they're like, yeah, it's the mental health piece. It's actually not because I want a stronger back. And all of the other physical changes, especially if you're motivated to do it on a regular basis because it feels good and you enjoy it more, then you're going to, over the long run, accumulate the behaviors that lead to the physical changes, whether it's muscle gain, strength gain, fat loss, et cetera. And more and more, I think, A, we're it's very research-backed that there is tremendous mental health benefits to exercise. And whether it's resistance training or cardiovascular work or playing sports, if we can get people moving and they experience that, very likely they don't want to relinquish that because most people do like to feel better. So I really do think that getting people active in whatever form they most enjoy. And I find strength training is an easy one because you start out and you notice that incrementally, it's very easy to measure your improvements, which can be very reinforcing of the habit and very encouraging. Like, oh, I'm lifting something I couldn't lift before. Mm-hmm. and it, it's addictive and if you can get that embedded then usually we see at least modest lifestyle behavior changes people are less likely to go on and go out drinking that's good um, they tend to make better food choices and those effects compound over time and then you can turn around and you can make adjustments based on that person to the number of workouts the, the structure of the workout you can get away from full body workouts work great let's see Steve Reeves, the old uh, Hercules from way back when in, in Hollywood, you know, he, the bodybuilders that era before Arnold and his contemporaries kind of popularized the body part split. Those guys did full body workouts. Yeah. Just full body. Yeah. But you can do workout structure, however you like workout, whatever frequency for me, I like working out five to six days a week. It's important. I probably work out more than I need to, to maintain the physical results that I want, but it's because I really enjoy the experience right. of going to the gym and I'm lucky enough to actually have the time. If anything, I carve out the time and prioritize it because if I don't, I'll fill it with other work stuff. My cat is over here and he's systematically knocking down <laughs> all of these Christmas cards that I have up on the table because he wants to touch it nearby. Anyway, right. more uh, questions? Yeah, no, I think that's great. Um, next, you kind of touched on this, nutrition, right? So nutrition beyond training, if there were... Two or three places that just, I know it totally differs on the person, but a couple key places people should look. What is that? Is it protein? Is it protein. veggies? Is it cooking? Is it what comes to mind just overall nutrition? I think if you did three things, you would see dramatic change. One, you focus on building every meal around lean sources of protein. Absolutely protein. Protein's more filling. It's going to be better for uh, for building muscle, more satiating, all the above. Uh, if you really want to get into some of the protein stuff, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon has been very vocal about this stuff. Gabby's a really great authority. Two, you mentioned it is, is if you cook more meals at home, a lot of good things will start happening there. On average, you'll be eating less calories. I think your energy levels will improve. You get off of the processed food. People like to argue about the role of processed food. And I don't think demonizing it's the answer because people are going to do the best they can. But I think we kind of get got to get past this idea that I'm I'm actually all about flexible dieting. I think it's the best approach to nutrition there is, but also glorifying and 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 
saying that, you know, eating a lot of processed food, as long as it fits the macro sort of thing, I don't think that's helpful either. I think you want to go based on the flexible dieting approach. There's definitely room for the things you enjoy. I like to get people to think about, all right, there's the stuff that you really love. I went and got a Dairy Queen blizzard last night. I fucking loved it. <laughs> Whereas wow. I try to stay away from like fast food burgers because they make me feel eh. Like, look at all the stuff that we know. We, we'll do it on impulse. We didn't eat. We're running around. We grab it on the go. And then afterwards, we just feel like, uh, and then, hey, that shit's getting pretty expensive these days. It's not even like it's cheaper anymore. And you're just kind of like, I wasted money and calories on that. And you just feel, ugh, right? And remind yourself of that. And you make decisions, say no. And then next time I drive by McDonald's, I'm not getting the burger. Okay, I'm not doing that. And you hopefully then get in the habit of cooking more home, home cooked meals. And as simple and as Basic as it is, if you drink more water, you tend to feel better. It is a little bit more filling as well. Sure, you got to pee more. Well, use that to your advantage. If you got to get up and pee more often, you're getting off of, if, especially if you're sedentary, drink more water. You'll get up and move around more because you got to pee more. So those three things. If you can do one, two, or all three of those things, I promise you awesome shit's going to start compounding. Especially if it's combined with that exercise you're talking about two to three times, full body. That I mean, you're just going to start feeling better at that place. Um, another one that I know is really common, uh, but everybody asks about is women in strength training. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of conversation around this. I get a lot of questions about this. Um, there's seen, you know, the, the classic kind of thought or fear is, oh no, strength training is more for men. Um, uh, if I'm a female, I'm going to get too bulky. I don't want to get too bulky. I want to be more tone. How, how do you respond to that? Um, and what does that look like? I mean, there's a, you got to have a little fun with this one. Um, I got a few thoughts on it. I mean, number one, on the greater end of things, the people who are open to our messaging, they now understand. Women far more appreciate the fact that it's good to build muscle. They like the idea. There's way, way, way more women who are involved in strength training even then there were 10, certainly 20 years ago, right? They're definitely much more prevalent in commercial gyms when I walk into them and women know what they're doing. They're seeking education. They're very smart. Women are, are phenomenal consumers of, of fitness resources and fitness education. And oh, let me get my thoughts back on track. At the same time, I would say three quarters of all the women I've ever had a consultation with across the last 12 plus years have made some comment to the effect about, hey, I don't want to get too muscular or I don't want to get too bulky. The myth is very real by the people who are still trying to access that realm. So we we definitely need to, to say to them, first of all, you don't make someone feel stupid. It's Here's one of my pet peeves about trainers. And, they, and sometimes they'll do this shit on social media. They'll be like, oh, tone is not a thing. And it's one of the most pedantic, pathetic little hills that die on that some trainers get on with. And they're like, oh, tone is not a thing, you know, blah, 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 building muscle, blah, 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 losing body fat. It's the language that people coming to talk to us know. And we got two choices. We can either turn around and go, well, actually, and then all of a sudden you've just blown the trust. This person, you made this person feel stupid and give them a lecture on why tone is not a thing. Or two, you can go, I know exactly what you mean. Cool. You help them. You, you be constructive resource. You develop a relationship with them. You start working with them. And you teach them as you go how muscle building works and how fat loss works so that the language of that doesn't even matter anymore, right? Without ever having to tell them, listen, what you thought was stupid and wrong. And yet trainers still cannot help themselves with this stupid rhetoric. And I see it on social media all the time. 
But when I see it, I also walk on by and I don't get involved in arguments on the internet. I just kind of go, no, that's sort of tone deaf. Um, so we've got to approach the, you know, the women getting bulky the same way, but we could also have a little bit of fun with it. One of my favorite ways to do it is to say, look, like you ever see like all the guys walking around who are like busting their ass, like lifting weights, like crazy. And they're still pretty skinny. It's like, it's actually really, really hard to put on muscle. And <laughs> while we actually know that testosterone within normal human levels actually doesn't play as much of a role in our capacity to build muscle as we used to think. And women build muscle as well as men relative to their starting point of their frame and their amount of muscle mass. Women on average start with less muscle, particularly in their upper bodies, because they're on average smaller. Yes, there are definitely women out there who put on muscle fairly easily. We know that, but they're rare. They're very exceptional. And most of the imagery of these two muscular women that women don't want to look like, they are absolutely steroid users because it exists in the bodybuilding realm and other stuff. And so that imagery is part of the reason why for all this crap in the first place. But if we can kind of make light of it a little bit and be like, hey, listen, like there's all these guys out there busting ass, trying desperately to put on a lot of muscle and they're not looking like bodybuilders. You're not going to like pick up a set of dumbbells and all of a sudden look like a Mrs. Olympia. And if you can have a little bit of sense of humor about it and get them to enjoy it a little bit, usually that, A, that fear fades. And then two, you can also show them images of women who work out, train really hard. And there's more and more than ever. And they don't look like that kind of the bulk, that bodybuilder bulky sort of look that women are scared of. And they realize, wow, that like that lean, that strong athletic look with a lot of muscle on it actually looks phenomenal. And then all of a sudden the attitude changes. So it's, it's meeting people where they're at with that one. It's, it's treating it with humor without making someone feel stupid. Like what they're, what they believe or think is, is somehow wrong. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, one other thing you touched on it on your own kind of childhood and we, we've talked about it a little, but I think one of the most rewarding pieces I've found in any of our health coaching work or anything we're doing is when a parent we're working with realizes that the healthy changes they're making are now rubbing off on their kids and that they are a role model for their kids. And to see that light bulb for them where they're like, actually my son or my daughter came with me to the gym the other day, you know, mm -hmm. and I've seen, I mean, you post about this. I've read, you posted articles about this, that dynamic. I mean, it, it always hits me a lot because that was, I'm like, oh, wow, that would have been amazing. You know, that was so not part of my own childhood, which is all good. But that to me is a fascinating and underrated piece of this whole journey that people never talk about. And it can change families, it can change generations and like that ripple effect. Like, where does that come into play if you're training somebody or for somebody to think about, hey, this is your journey, but it also impacts your family and your kids and all of that. Like, where do we go with that? My cat is getting antsy. Um, so you're alluding to a, a viral post that I have. It's pinned to the top of my profile. It's actually the most popular thing I've ever shared. It's just about encouraging parents to expose their kids to gym. And, okay, Oz, be nice. I'm on a podcast. He's getting upset. Um, and it is about, I mean, partly it's it's kids will model what their parents do. Uh, and it's about getting kids to see these kind of environments and grow up around them where physical activity is a very normal thing for them. It's normalized. So that way they either fall in love with it early and they get ahead on things or if they discover it later in life where, okay, maybe they put on a little bit of weight or they're not feeling great, 
they're able to step into an environment that they grew up around versus an environment that's really scary and intimidating and foreign to them that that you know they they subscribe to all these very negative stereotypes well okay you got to calm down pal all right <laughs> uh so if we can create that environment and have that forward thinking it's a really powerful gift to give to kids so that way they grow up with those skills the attitudes to value that environment so that way they're not intimidated intimidated by it later on in life as an adult yeah, I think that's kind of its essence. Yeah. And what's interesting too, like you said, that's the most viral or popular post you've ever posted on your Instagram. That to me is amazing. Like it, that's, it's nothing to do about calories or macros or your, you know, body part splits or anything like that. It's about a human experience and connecting with your family, you know? Absolutely. Fantastic. And I guess last sort of question I have is around the things that are, invisible or not as quantifiable that make all the difference. So I always think of those as your environment at home, your community, the people around you and accountability. So like, as far as that goes, I feel like those often are the things that actually make or break progress for people without them thinking about it. Um, what have you found in that space? Like, how do you tap into community? Somebody who might feel like they're on this journey by themselves, where do they go in that kind of isolation? Um, yeah, anything around that? I have a few thoughts there. Um, first of all, most of the friends that I have in my life, so especially since I moved to Edmonton, are people I met from the gym. So hmm. the gym can be, if you're willing to embrace it, it can be a really rich environment to meet like-minded people. And that can be fulfilling because if if, the, if you're open to the idea that the gym can be a bit more social, not everybody wants to be social, but it can be an environment where you go and you see people that you enjoy spending time around and it can be an incentive to want to go back and be in that environment. And for some of my clients over the years, I've tried to facilitate them meeting, you know, other people in the gym, feeling welcome, feeling part of the community. So that's, that's an element. And I think it's a very powerful. One. It's also valuable to recognize sabotage in your environment, whether it's Mm. intentional and malicious borderline mal malicious or if it's it comes from a place often where if you're the person in your workplace your family life your friend's environment who is trying to make a lifestyle change but you've got a lot of people around you who maybe they're not satisfied with where they are but they haven't successfully gotten started they're not seemingly willing to make the lifestyle change that's all of a sudden when the office place donuts show up and the pizza or the, hey, live a little. And you'll notice that people around you will start to, and they may not even realize what they're doing, but they're trying to sabotage you, whether, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Because you're suddenly now a stimulus that is making them uncomfortable. It's making them aware of something they really don't like about themselves. And they want that to go away. And in order to make it go away, they have to stop you from doing the thing you're doing which means sabotaging your, your nutrition, sabotaging your workout. Hey, come up for drinks with us, you know, blow off the gym today. And if it's friends, that's tricky. But again, you can probably spend more time with friends who are more encouraging of this stuff. Workplace environment's really tricky, but it, it probably becomes boundaries around, A, you, you might have to tap into your own willpower a little bit, but it's also boundaries around coworkers or anybody who's like giving you that live a little stuff. That's when you can say, listen, 
that's, you know, this is really important to me. That's a, don't do that. Right. Like, and you, you got to stand your ground on that stuff. And I think you got to put those people in their place. It's a tough conversation when it's your immediate family, you got a problem and that's more challenging and it becomes really tough conversations. And I feel bad saying this, but I can think of at least two clients that I had very early in my journey as a trainer. Um, it was a female client who was struggling a lot with weight and had a boyfriend who was really impulsive. And I was sort of training him too, but he was, he was a nightmare and I don't want to speak disparagingly of anybody, but uh, he was just super impulsive. And even if I like tell him, okay, you know, let's try to support her, whatever, he would still bring all kinds of junk back to the house because he just wanted to. Mm -hmm. And just total lack of self-respect for himself and his own goals, let alone hers. And it was just created a lot of sabotage in that environment. He was a very selfish individual. And again, I know I'm sort of sounding negative about an old client, but it's an example that I think is important. And in a second situation, I had a client whose spouse always made sure that he had some sort of last minute errand or thing to do whenever he had schedule booked with me. And it was so blatant and obvious because she was very insecure about him losing weight or getting fit or what have you that she, she openly and willfully sabotaged in mm. this situation. And, and I had enough exposure to her to kind of know there's, you know, not an individual I wanted to deal with anyway. And it became a point where I had to have a tough conversation with the client because yeah, it, it was, it was, all, it was so prevalent and bad. And at one point she tried to overtake the conversation to where I would do the scheduling through her. And I'm like, no, we're not doing this stuff. And it, as a trainer, unfortunately, you can't help everybody. And sometimes when you have to deal with this sort of stuff, you you actually have to politely say, this doesn't work for me anymore because it's stressful. I don't want to quit on people. But in the case of the first couple, the guy, he tried to come back to me, you know, years later. And I I just didn't want to deal with him. So I politely declined. And unfortunately, I did lose the second client, although I have a good overall long-term relationship with him. But I lost him as well because I just pointed out the fact that, listen, this is what's going on here. And like I can't work with this. So tough stuff, but you have to learn to recognize sabotage in your environment. And we have, it, it goes to a more basic thing that we all have to work on is our own boundaries around what people take from us in terms of our time, our emotional well-being, doing good things for us, and then setting those boundaries and say, listen, this is important. This is non-negotiable. And to recognize the people who are pushing against those boundaries and trying to sabotage it. And it's tough. It's really no hard. Solution recognizing this stuff is the start. Yeah. The sabotage is, it's a perfect word for it. And the, I would just think of it as that like social eating is always the danger zone when you're out to dinner and you're with people and they're come on just to get this, or we're getting pizzas for the table. Like it's, it's an it's overwhelming place to be, to be the one person at the table, especially if you're new to the journey and maybe you're still feeling insecure about it to be like, no, actually I'm going to order blank. Like that's a tough spot to be in, but I also, to your point, I think, I think once you have the first conversation, it gets easier. Like you kind of realize also at the same time, actually, nobody really gives a shit. And like, if you just say like, I'm eating this, very rarely would somebody actually push back on that. And so much of it is in our head, you know, when it's a partner at home and that sort of thing, it gets tricky but most of the time social eating work happy hours you're out with friends that sort of thing if you just say hey i'm doing my thing nine out of ten people are gonna respect it and the great friends in my life 
they're wired for this too. And you can then, if you get the everyday stuff, if you get rid of the impulsive on the run eating the crap, if you get rid of the, the, the crap snacking, snacking is probably one of the worst behaviors people engage in. And I think we were sold this lie. It was the whole like eat more meals. We, we know this is crap, you know, to stoke the metabolic furnace or whatever. And people get this and, oh, I mean, I need my snack. Oh, I'm, they're entitled to snacks. No, you're not. Like we got to get over this crap. Like you're not entitled to these snacks. Um, we, A, just keep the stuff out of the house that the trouble stuff that will impulsively snack on. I want junk food every night. I promise you. I want junk food every night. It's not in my house. Therefore, I'm like, okay, cool. And then I go to bed and then I'm not hungry anymore because I'm asleep, right? Like, seriously, that works. And I'm pretty good. And and I'm usually not in the fridge at like midnight eating shredded cheese every once in a blue moon, but usually not. Yeah. A, this stuff is, is developing personal boundaries around it too. But when you do a really good job of getting the everyday really good, then you have the latitude to go and sit down and have a few beers with your friends or or order the pizza. Like I said, I, I had a Dairy Queen blizzard last night after the gym because I felt like it, because I like it. This weekend, I treated myself to a pizza. There's a new-ish pizza place in the general neighborhood. They make great pizza. It was phenomenal. I enjoyed it. I'm not a fat person in one day because I enjoyed these treats because everything else in my nutrition is probably pretty on point. I drink way less than I used to, even though you can see my bar yeah. that my friend built for me behind me. Since I've had that bar built, I just drink way less. It's weird. Interesting. And I'm yeah, out well, less. That, I'm, I'm, say that because, oh, sorry, go on. I was just say I'm, I'm less and less in environments where I want to drink. And, you know, sometimes, yeah, you, you lose especially if your relationship with certain friends is always rooted in drinking and you notice that you don't want to drink anymore. You stop spending time with them. Okay. Well, there, maybe there's some good and there's some bad in that too. Right. And so I spend less time around my friends who want to drink and I'm good with that. Yeah. And I think, and that was the last question I had was a touch on exactly what you said, um, which is more of a reminder than a question, which is that like, living a healthy life and feeling good doesn't mean never eating pizza again or never eating Dairy Queen again. Like I always talk about this. It's like, if you're starting a health program, the expectation can't be, all right, you love donuts. Well, you're never eating donuts again the rest of your life. Like that's obvious. And it's like laughable when I even say like, of course you're going to have it. So why not build that into your life? And the assumption is you're going to have it. You don't have to call it a cheat meal. You can just call it, it's going to happen again at some point. And I don't have to stress about it when it does happen because, you know, the other, let's say 20 meals out of the 21 of the week are super healthy and you're feeling great. You know, I, I was talking to a client of ours yesterday where I was like, we were talking about New Year's and and all this kind of stuff. And he's like stressing about what he ate or drank on New Year's Eve or and then Thanksgiving before. And, all this. and I, the reminder was, you know, people get so hyped up around, am I going to go off track for those 10 or so holidays of the year? It's like, eat whatever the hell you want on the holidays. All the non-holiday days are much more important. You know, it's like, we're stressing out about the holidays. That's like 10 days out of 365. Why don't we worry about the other days? You know, and it's like that type of thinking is an important reminder that you can be healthy and fit and feel great and still enjoy these foods. You just want to be intentional and kind of deliberate when they're there. So I just thought that's worth highlighting, sharing. I don't know if you have additional thoughts to that, but I think that's really important for people to to recognize. No, you, you covered it well. This is good. I appreciate you having me on.
Beautiful. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Um, everybody listening, uh, this is Andrew Coates again. I'm going to put the links in the show notes. Uh, Andrew, super appreciate it. And um, I know everybody's going to benefit from this. So thank, thank you, you so much. I appreciate it, Ethan. Thank you.